All right, everyone. If you have your Bible, please turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. James chapter 1, looking at verses 13 through 18. As you can see, we're continuing our series in the book of James. You know, uh, we've, that's what we've been going over the last two weeks. Our teaching series is titled uh, James, a gospel on the ground, because we're showing how the gospel is applied to our daily lives uh, from the book of James. First time we met um, two weeks ago, I taught from James chapter one, one, where James um, explained himself as being a slave of Christ. And we talked about what it meant to identify to to find our identity in Christ as Christians then last week, James talked to us from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, about patiently enduring trials. And we talked about specifically how God uses trials in our life to make us more like Jesus. So that's what we learned about last week. So today, we're going to talk about dealing with temptation. Dealing with temptation from James chapter 1, 13 through 18. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I think it's important for us to talk about the subject dealing with temptation. The first reason why this is so important is because as Christians, we are regularly tempted on a regular basis. On a regular basis, we are always enticed to do something that is against the will of God. Just uh, note me bringing up the topic tonight, you know, you may be tempted to not listen to anything I say because we're talking about temptation. And it's mainly because your flesh naturally is going to rise up against all that I'm going to say about temptation because our flesh just wants to do what it wants to do. So then number two, the reason why I think this is important is because in our society today, in our culture today, fleeing from temptation is very unpopular. We live in a society today where everybody just does whatever they want to do. Everybody gives into their flesh. Um, You know, everybody just does what they want to do. That's the whole reason why we have LGBTQ, you know. That's why we have all this transgenderism and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, we really live in a culture that's described by judges where it talks about how in that day, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, you know. And the truth of the matter is, that is not biblical. That is not what it means to be a Christian. So it's important for us to talk about this topic when it comes to dealing with temptation because we deal with it on a regular basis. Then, Because when we're tempted, we have a choice. If we're going to yield to temptation and sin or if we're going to yield to the Spirit of God so that we can do that which is right. That's the choice that we have when we're tempted. So here's what we're going to learn today. Here's the main point that I want to try to communicate to you today, tonight, from James chapter 1, 13 through 18. The main idea, Christians can deal with temptation by looking to Christ and his power to overcome the flesh. I'm going to say that again. Christians can deal with temptation by looking to Christ and his power, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but Christ and his power and over to overcome the flesh. That's what I want my, my goal that I want to communicate with you from James chapter one. So before we get there, I just want to mention, you know, James goes from giving us instructions regarding to how to patiently endure trials 
to instructing us on how to deal with temptation. As I said before, does anybody know why that may be? All right. Okay. Well, here's here's why I think that is the case. The truth of the matter is we are more vulnerable to temptation when we are going through trials, when we're being tested by God. And I think that's why James is wanting to talk about temptation, move from patiently enduring trials as Christians to learning how to handle or deal with temptation. I want to give you a good definition of temptation from one Wiersbe. I think is very helpful for us to examine as we're going through on this topic. But here's what Warren Wiersbe, here's how he defined temptation. He said, a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way out of the will of God. So now let me give you some examples about that that I think will hopefully bring to light his definition of temptation. Let me ask you guys this question. It's not a trick question at all. Do you believe it is wrong to want to pass a test and get a good grade on it? Yeah, no, absolutely not. It's not wrong. I hope that everybody wants to get a good grade on their test, you know. But here's the deal. If you cheat to pass the test, then you sin. You see, the temptation to cheat is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing like passing the test but in a bad way that's outside of the will of God. You know, also, you can apply that to all kinds of other stuff. I mean, you can apply that when it comes to eating. You know, it's not wrong to eat. And hey, y'all know me. I'm the first one that loves to eat, you know. But it's not wrong to eat, you know. But if we're considering stealing the food in order to do so, which is accomplishing a good thing, then we're tempting ourselves because we're tempting ourselves to feel a need in a bad way outside of the will of God because it's clear in the Ten Commandments what thou shalt not steal, right? So I think that's that's where uh, Warren Wearsby kind of is getting that definition from. But here's one thing else we got to understand too about temptation: to be tempted is not uh, to uh, sorry to be tempted to sin is not a sin in and of itself. Now, that's important for us to understand, because if we don't understand that, then we'll likely fall victim to the mindset that says, well, I was already tempted because I already thought about doing evil anyway. So therefore, I might as well do it anyway. You know, but here's the deal with that. That is a bold faced lie from Satan, because, you know, Satan would love it even more if he can get you to think like that. But that kind of thinking is just not from God. Therefore, y'all, do not deceive yourself with that kind of thinking. But if we don't understand that about temptation, if we don't understand that temptation is not a sin in and of itself, we're more likely to fall to that kind of thinking. And we must not do that. We need to be careful and be on guard with that kind of thinking. So in light of that little introduction now, Let's go ahead and dive in the text to exactly see what James is telling us about temptation. Exactly what James is telling us as far as how we as Christians are to deal with temptation. How are we to handle temptation? So I'm going to go ahead and read our text. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 18. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So I believe it is in this, these passages of scriptures that I just read to you tonight that James gives us four principles when it comes to dealing with temptation in our life as Christians. Four principles when it comes to handling temptation when we are tempted. So here's our first point. We're going to go right in. Number one, in order to handle temptation, in order to deal with temptation, we need to understand that we can't blame God when we're tempted. That we can't blame God when we're tempted. James is very clear, isn't he, in verse 13. He says, as I go back to that, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You see, James already knows right off the bat that we will be tempted as Christians. He's going to tell us why, as I just read in our text later on, he told us already why. But the point is that it is not a matter of if we will be tempted as Christians, but when we will be tempted as Christians. Yet, James is telling us very straightforwardly that we cannot blame God when we are tempted. And then he gives us two reasons why, as I already read in verse 13. What are those two reasons? Yes, number one. Yes, God cannot be tempted by evil. What's the other one? Yes, that's right. God does not tempt anyone. So number one, yes, God, because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor God does not tempt anyone. So let me ask you guys this question. Does anyone want to take a good guess as to why God can't be tempted by evil and why he does not tempt anyone? Anyone? Yes, Trey? That's exactly right, Trey. Yes, it's because God is pure. That's exactly right. You see, God is holy and righteous. That is his natural character. Because of his character, it is impossible for God to be tempted by evil or to tempt others to do evil. It's impossible because of who God is. And as we learned last week, God does test people. Yes, indeed. But he never tempts people to do evil. And there is a difference. So let me ask you guys this question. How many of you have ever blamed God for being tempted? You know, it's easy to blame others and make excuses for our evil thoughts and actions, isn't it? You know, if you say, well, brother DeAndre, I've never blamed God or others for what I do. Well, then let me ask you these series of questions. Have you ever said things like this before? It's so-and-so's fault or I couldn't help it or everybody's doing it or it was just a mistake or nobody's perfect. And that is true. Nobody's perfect. But oftentimes when people use that, I believe it is to lower the bar. And that's not what we should do as Christians. Number six. Well, the devil made me do it. 
Oh boy, you know, I've used that before. But the truth of the matter is, we cannot blame the devil for anything that we do. It, we can't blame the devil. He can't make us do anything, you know. And and Satan can't even do anything in our life that God doesn't even allow to happen. So we can't blame the devil. Uh, it's not his. We can't blame the devil for the evil things that we do. That's against the will of God. Here's something else we may say. Well, I was pressured into it or I didn't know it was wrong. Or lastly, it's God. That's tempting me, you know, a person who makes excuses is trying to shift the blame from themselves and to something or someone else. A Christian should not do that because we are to take personal responsibility for our wrongdoing by confessing our sin before God and ask for his forgiveness. That is how a Christian is supposed to deal with their sin. And now this leads me to the next point that James gives us about how to deal with sin, how to handle sin in our life from verses 14 through 16. Here's the second point. In order to deal with temptation, we need to take personal responsibility for our desires. We need to take personal responsibility for our desires. Now, I struggle with this point because I didn't even I didn't know if the, I should name it to take personal responsibility for our desires or to understand the consequences of sin. It is both. But as I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 again, you'll see what James is communicating with us. Here's what James says. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So with, when I just read that, then what does it say in verse 14 regarding the reason why we're regularly tempted as Christians? What's the reason it gives in verse 14? So the reason it gives us is that it is our own evil desire that causes us to be dragged away and enticed into evil, right? Not God. James, of course, is not saying that we're not tempted by Satan as well. The truth of the matter is we are tempted by Satan. But Satan uses the evil desires in our, of our hearts to tempt us to do evil. So let me ask you guys this next question. Why do we as Christians have evil desires then? Aren't we saved? Aren't we Christians? Why do we still struggle with evil desires? Why do we still have it? Anyone want to take a guess? Yeah, a little bit, not quite. Um, okay, well, he, well, here's what I'm looking for. The answer that I was looking for more to was the flesh. That's the answer. You know, just because we are Christians doesn't mean that our old fleshly nature has completely been removed, right? The flesh is evil. And will still live in us until the day we die and we are with Jesus forever. This is why it's important to regularly crucify our flesh and walk by the Spirit, as is mentioned in the book of Galatians by the Apostle Paul. We must do so because our flesh wants to constantly do evil, while the Spirit of God wants us to constantly do what is righteous before God. There's a war between the flesh and and the spirit that only a true Christian would understand. You know, I would argue if there's not a war between your flesh and the spirit, there's a could be a good indication that you're not a Christian. But you have to evaluate that between yourself and God. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever went fishing before? 
Okay, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of you, yeah. So let me ask you guys this question. What do you do when you go fishing? Or what are you trying to accomplish when you go fishing? That's exactly right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're catching fish. My answer to that question was you're catching fish but specifically by luring them towards the bait. You see, when the fish sees the bait, if it's hungry, it's going to swim toward the bait that you have on your hook. But here's the deal. As we all know, the fish doesn't see the hook, though, but it just sees the bait thinking that it's going to get a good meal. So instead, once the fish takes the bait, it gets hooked, carried away to the point where the fish ends up becoming the meal. Now, if that's kind of crude, I'm sorry, you know, I apologize. But hey, you know, that's one reason why me and Michelle love going fishing, because we love to cook the fish and eat the fish, you know. But do you see how deceptive we're being when we go fishing? You know, now I'm going to call some of you not to go fishing anymore. Hey, please, you know, don't tell your parents that Brother DeAndre said fishing is evil. That's not what I'm saying. You know, that it's okay to go fishing, you know, but we are in a sense being deceptive because we're trying to get the fish to catch our bait so that we can catch it. My point of sharing this is this. That is exactly what temptation to sin is like. Rethink that sin will satisfy us and get us something good that we're missing out on. But instead, it hooks us, it drags us to destruction. That is why James tells us in verses 15 to 16 that, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear Brothers, you see, an evil desire in our heart conceives a method for taking the bait. Then our will approves and acts on the desire, which then gives birth to sin. That is what James is saying in them verses. Once the desire gave birth to sin after it was carried out, then we are hooked and we're trapped. Then once sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. You know, if you remember back in Genesis chapter three, Satan used the desire of Eve that led her to disobeying God by eating the forbidden fruit. And Adam and Eve experienced not only spiritual death, which was separation from God, but also physical death as well. Even though Satan lied to them and told them that they would not die. You remember that? That is why we are told in verse 16 not to be deceived because sin is a trap that leads to death. Therefore, when we are tempted, we need to get our eyes off the bait, so to speak, and get our eyes on the consequence of sin, which is death. That's why in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death, right? You know, Adam and Eve tried to blame God and each other for why they sinned. But the reality is that it didn't work because they could not blame no one but themselves for why they did what they did. And that is why James wants us to understand that we are tempted due to our own evil desires that was passed down to us from Adam. So in order to deal with temptation, here's the next point. We need to also ponder on God's goodness. 
We need to ponder on God's goodness. Now, this is a point that I really want you to get along with the next point, because these two next two points, I think, are really going to really help us to learn how to deal with temptation to the point where we don't less likely will yield to temptation and follow Christ and yield to righteousness. So let's look what it says in verse 17. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So let me ask you guys this question after I just read verse 17. Where does every good and perfect gift come from in verse 17? Where does it come from? Yes, John, yes. As we can see in the text, it comes from God. The answer is God described as the heavenly father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, it's important for us to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God because one of the ways Satan tricks us is by convincing us that God is holding out on us and doesn't really love us or care for us. Once again, that is a lie from Satan. But sometimes he can convince us of that if we forget about the goodness of God. That is exactly what Satan did as he tempted Eve, because Satan told Eve that she would not die because God knows that when you eat of the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see how how Satan twisted that to make it seem like God was being restrictive? Satan even did this to Jesus when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness when he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones become bread. Because in a sense, he was really telling Jesus, well, you know, if God really loves you, why wouldn't he? Why would he have you go hungry like this? You see, if Satan can convince us in a moment of temptation that God is really not good and that God is holding out on us, then I believe Satan has us right where he wants us. That is why it is absolutely critical to ponder on the goodness of God when we are tempted. For every good in the world comes from God. It keeps coming down to us by his grace. He never changes either. We don't ever have to doubt God's goodness. And since God is good, we don't need anyone else to meet our needs because God supplies all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's biblical and you can bank on that. So then lastly, this reminds me of our last point tonight. When it comes to dealing with temptation, when it comes to handling temptation, James tells us that not only do we need to ponder on the goodness of God, but we must remember our new nature in verse 18. We must remember our new nature. Here's what James says lastly. It says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So we see from our text that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth, the gospel that we heard. This birth is referring to our regeneration, which is the work of God's grace by the Holy Spirit, where we became new creatures, creatures, sorry, in Christ at our conversion. It is the moment that we became born again spiritually as Jesus described to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Because remember, Nicodemus said, Jesus, well, Jesus, what do you mean being born again? Am I supposed to go into the belly of my mother again? And Jesus was like, no. (laughs) You know, he was talking about being born again spiritually. 
It is the moment that we became uh, regenerated. It is because of our regeneration that we received a new nature in Christ. We became the kind of first fruits of all that God created, as James described here. I don't know if you guys know what first fruits mean, but in the Old Testament, Jews brought to God what were called first fruits to the Lord as an expression of their devotion and obedience to him. So James is saying that we're first fruits if we're Christians, because Christians are God's first fruits in that we are the finest people on the face of the earth because we belong to God. Therefore, it is so beneath us to accept Satan's bait and desire the sinful things of the world because of who we are in Christ and the resources we have in Christ, especially through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see? So in closing, you guys, I've shared with you what James shared with us in our text. James shared with us that in order to handle or deal with temptation, we need to, number one, understand that we can't blame God when we're tempted. Then number two, well, first, it's because he is holy and righteous God who can't be tempted by evil, nor will he tempt others to do so. That's why we can't blame God when we're tempted. But number two, we also need to take personal responsibility when we are tempted. For when we are tempted, it's when we're dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. And we've learned that sin leads to death. So we must understand the consequences as well. Number three. We need to also ponder on the goodness of God while we are tempted so that we will be on guard against Satan's false accusations about God holding out on us when we're tempted. Then lastly, when dealing with temptation, we need to remember our new nature in Christ by which we have victory over sin. Totally. I believe some of you here tonight may be Christians but may not be experiencing victory over sin in your life because you allow your own evil desires to seduce you towards sin that leads you to constantly yield to sin and experience its consequences. And it makes you feel ashamed. It makes you feel broken. It makes you feel hopeless. It makes you feel so defeated because you are under a stronghold that you feel you can't break free from. I'm here tonight, if that's you, to give you hope. The hope that you need is not found in yourself and in your own strength and in your own power. The hope that you need is found in God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ as expressed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ That you have been given a new nature that sets you free from the bondage of sin. You've been given a new nature that is more powerful than the flesh. Because Christ overcame our old nature. And now we are alive unto God in Christ Jesus. There's no better way that this is explained than in Romans chapter 6 verses 11 through 14. I'm going to turn there real quick because I want to read this to you because it's so good. Romans chapter 6, 11 through 14, that says this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of your body to sin 
as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. See, that text that I just read to you tonight tells us that because of our union with Christ, we are no longer obligated to carry out the desires of the flesh. We have no obligation to offer parts of our bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather we are enabled to offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be our master because we are not under law, but under grace. Isn't that wonderful? Christ became our master and he gives us the power to do good rather than evil when we are tempted. Therefore, it is Christ to whom we need to look to when we deal with temptation, because it is in the strength and power of Christ that we don't yield to evil when being tempted. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, then you have no hope at all of being set free from sin and its destruction in your life because you are in bondage to your sin. And there's nothing in your own power and strength that you can do about it unless you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by coming to him and telling him and, and, and I mean, acknowledging and realizing and saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I need you to save me and become the Lord and Savior of my life so that I can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I believe that if I come to know, if I come to you, you'll forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. Give me a new nature and make me alive unto you. That's, all, that's what you have to do. You have to come to Christ if you don't know him tonight. And he can make you new by which you will not be in bondage no more, but have power over sin to where you don't have to yield to sin anymore. You can yield to righteousness and live a life that's pleasing to God. You see? So I hope you all got something out of the message tonight. But, you know, I'm going to get ready to close us in prayer. But my hope and prayer is that you learn some things that uh, will be vital for you to do as Christians when it comes to dealing with temptation in your life. May God bless you. I pray. And we'd be dismissed. Thank you all for listening.